Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Before Ryan comes up, we're going to have our Bible reading now. It comes from Colossians. It'll be up on the screen. It's Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. We're continuing in our My Church series because Colossians is just one of those great books that shows us what uh, God's plan for church is. And this is the sort of church we want to be. Uh, So this morning's reading is a little bit longer than normal. Ryan's going to walk us through that. But just to show us how we uh, grow in Christ and what that looks like. So reading from Colossians Chapter 2, from verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the element of spiritual forces of this world rather than that on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the work of working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the the elemental spiritual... (coughs) Excuse me the spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its rulers? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish, with, that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack, they, 
but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of, the wrath, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Good morning, everyone. I'm Ryan. And I'm going to apologise straight up. <clears throat> We're not going to get into a lot of the, the details that this passage gets into. So if there's stuff here that you'd like to come and talk about after, uh, please do. Um, but yeah, we're going to be just kind of dipping into to get a sense of the big picture of what Paul's saying in these in these verses. So before we start, um, with that in mind, I'm going to pray for us. Um, pray with me as we come to hear God speak to us. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we we thank you that as we are here now, you are with us. Father, it's hard for us to appreciate how real you are, <clears throat> the spiritual realities of life to escape us. But we know that you are as real with us as the person and sitting next to us, the people in this room. And Father, we pray that we would um, know that as we sit here and have an experience of being met um, by you, <clears throat> that you would speak, that we would hear, you would impact our hearts and that we might go away, Father, changed. That you would deepen us in our relationship with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> One of history's, uh, as people say, greatest artistic triumphs is Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. Now, I've never seen it. I'd love to see it. Um, but over four years, uh, from 1508 to 1512, uh, the artist, he lay on his back and painted the, the creation, fall and destruction of the human race in the flood. Uh, and this masterpiece, though, as soon as it was a kind of put on the ceiling of the, the Sistine Chapel, almost immediately it started to fade and, so, and suddenly, over like hundreds of years, people actually forgot just how amazing the original masterpiece was. People forgot how it looked. Until uh, in 1980, a scaffold was erected 
and the, uh, a project was undertook to, to restore uh, the Sistine Chapel. That a special solution was used kind of inch by inch. And over the next 14 years, they restored the roof of the Sistine Chapel, this masterpiece of Michelangelo's. And it was transformational. And I wish I could get a better picture for you, but the pictures aren't quite PG. And so I thought, oh, I'll just we'll, we'll get one from a distance. And so the, the, yeah, the, 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 the transformation was stunning. It was transformational. No one actually realized just how talented, how skillful a master Michelangelo was of colors of blue, green, rose, and lavender. That beneath the, the centuries of dirt and grime, like passionate colors laid buried. And so for the, ne- um, so for the first time in what could have been like 450 years, people could actually now see the masterpiece as it was originally intended in all of its beauty. But this uh, restoration of Michelangelo's masterpiece, it's, it is a really interesting story, but I think it's, it could be more than just an interesting story. I think it'd actually be uh, a parable or a metaphor uh, for our life. And I, I'm not sure I'd be alone because I think Paul would think so too. Paul's the bloke who's written this letter to these Christians in Colossae. And we read earlier in his letter to them how he explains the nature of our relationship with God. And he says that we have been created by God, by God, for God, through him. Where, in other words, God's masterpiece. And although, unlike Michelangelo's masterpiece, we are a living portrait or statue, we could say, of God and his likeness. But like Michelangelo's masterpiece, we've become uh, a dim reflection, faded, dirty, grimy, discoloured. And let's face it, if you're anything like me, uh, I know I don't uh, think, feel, speak and act in all the ways that uh, God would have me. Becoming so dirty and discoloured, we start to forget even altogether what or who we were originally meant to be. And Paul says in this passage though that belonging to Jesus now, we are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We'll explore more about what that means soon, but just notice straight up, Paul, as far as Paul's concerned, the Christian life is a transformational project. And that's what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is to experience a redeemed human life, to experience a restored human life. A life rescued and retrieved from the grime and dirt of sin, of being disconnected from God. And this retrieval is a a lifelong transformational process of being renewed in the image of our God, of our Creator. And so if spiritual maturity then is this lifelong experience of, of transformation, 
the question kind of is, well, then how does that actually happen? How are we transformed? How does this transformation happen? And so, like a special solution is used to transform and, and uh, restore Michelangelo's masterpiece, Paul says that there is a special solution for our spiritual transformation. And that special solution is, isn't this delicate mix of chemicals, it's actually an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. As Paul writes, he relentlessly impresses upon us how deeply connected we are to Jesus as his followers. Over 20 times, Paul says things like, um, Receive Christ. Your lives are lived in him, built up in him, on Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in him, by Christ, with Christ, with Christ, alive with Christ, found in Christ, with Christ, raised with Christ, died with Christ. We're hidden with Christ. Christ, who is your life? Christ is all and in all. He uses these phrases to overwhelm us and into, to impress upon us and to emphasize the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. And it's a relationship that where we are so intimately bound to Jesus that everything he does everything he is impacts us and changes us it's a deeply personal relationship that is transformational and if this is sounding a bit strange (laughs) it's actually not that unfamiliar to us because we do have deeply personal relationships with people that do change us we all have a few people few maybe not many but we we all would have a few at least one person in our life who we really do we would say open up our heart to there are those relationships that we have where we would say we do have moments where we have regular heart to heart conversations there are those relationships where we share our heart those significant deep substantial issues of our life with these relationships often though because of how deeply significant they are to us do often bring us significant pain heartbreak but these relationships are those people who we let into our heart in such a way that we change because of them These are the kinds of relationships of of our closest friends, uh, the kind of relationship that a husband should have with his wife or a parent should have with their child. These are the kinds of relationships, you know, they're not just any kind of relationship. They're deeply personal and transformational. They form and shape how we think, feel, speak and act. And in many ways, in a very true sense actually, these relationships are the making of us. And Paul reminds us that this is the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. At least we should and can. Because notice um, in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, while Paul's repeating something he's already told us, that God is fully present in Jesus, that that God in Jesus is literally this solid reality, he goes further and he adds something onto his thought. He goes on to say, 
that for in Christ all the fullness of deity do, uh, lives bodily in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness, or um, you have been filled in Him. There are a few things Paul can mean here or could mean here, but two things are very clear. Two simple things are very clear. God first is a solid reality in Jesus. And because we are in a relationship with him, united to him, with him, God has become a solid reality in our life. He is as real, as solid, as personal, as transformational as any other of our close relationships. But Paul goes on to say something else. He goes on to say that he, while he is like them, he isn't. Because only Jesus has the right to shape our heart. Above all other relationships, only Jesus has the right to be the making of us. He says this when, he, when Paul says, He, Jesus, is the head over every power and authority. Jesus alone is the one who should have the primary influence in our heart, above everyone, everything else. And Paul's aware of this, and he wants us to be aware of this, because he knows, and I think we know too when we take some time to reflect on this, that our hearts have actually already been shaped and formed. And this is good, normal. After all, God has made us that way. He has made us to be shaped by our closest relationships. It's just that our hearts have become dirtied and dusty and grimy, discoloured, because our hearts have been shaped to think, feel, speak and act in ways that are not according to Christ. That's Paul's concern. And I don't have a, I don't have a slide to emphasise this, but in the passage Paul says, they're not according to Jesus. Our heart has been shaped in a way that hasn't been taught to conform to him. In fact, our hearts have been conformed to be shaped, to think, feel, speak and act according to other people's way of living, thinking, speaking and acting in the world. And Paul refers to these as philosophies or traditions And so our hearts have learned lessons that need to be unlearned. Deeply formed old habits that die hard. But Paul says very strongly, put them to death. Plant them in the ground of your past and do not let them speak into your present and shape your future. We'll talk about a bit more of that in a moment. But Paul is echoing this ancient wisdom we find in Proverbs. Uh, for example, Proverbs chapter 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows everything. Paul repeatedly calls us um, in these verses to see to it that we don't let anyone shape our hearts, that we don't let anyone capture our hearts, seduce our hearts, submit your heart to anyone else's judgments. Only Jesus has the right to shape our hearts. And so he says, see to it. 
that we only let Jesus be the making of us. However, it's not just Jesus is right, because Jesus is actually the only one who can genuinely bring that change in our life. Everything else, Paul says, lacks any value in restraining uh, what he called, what the translation says, sensual indulgences. Now, uh, by sensual indulgences, Paul means the, the deep needs of our heart. Doesn't, it's not as negative as it sounds. This is very natural, normal, deep human needs of our heart. And restraining also doesn't quite capture what Paul's trying to get at here. What Paul's trying to get across is that everyone else and everything else just won't work. Because just like the Sistine Chapel needed a special solution, not just anything is going to bring transformation in our hearts. But it's not just that the Sistine Chapel required a special solution, it's that the Sistine Chapel needed to be repeatedly exposed to that special solution. It had to have a deeply intimate relationship with it which means that it is exposed again and again, comes into repeated contact and connection with what actually has the power to clean it rather than destroy it or have no impact on it at all. And so like the only solution for the Sistine Chapel, our heart only has one solution. It is to be in an ever-deepening, connection with Jesus, when our heart is repeatedly exposed and comes into repeated contact with Jesus, then and only then will we experience the kind of depth of transformation that the Bible talks about, that God or Paul here is holding out to us, of being renewed in the image of our Creator. So, we're starting to get a bit of a picture of what this transformation looks like. Transformation through this ever-deepening relationship with Jesus where we are repeatedly exposed, uh, exposing our hearts to him. So then, we now need to think about, or ask the question perhaps, how do we do that? How do we actually repeatedly expose our hearts to Jesus? What does it look like for uh, the, special, the special solution of being with Jesus to meet the grimy masterpiece that we are. And that's actually what Paul goes on to show us um, in the next verses, in chapter 3, verses 5 to 10. Paul leads us in a transformational process, we could say. It's, uh, he leads us into a practice of connecting with Jesus. Paul leads us beneath the surface of our lives to intentionally open up the depths of our hearts to those opening up to those uh, unseen thoughts, feelings, words and actions to be changed by Jesus. So rather than ex- going and explaining a lot of uh, all the different um, words and we're kind of verse by verse through this again, what I'm going to do is to show us the four steps that Paul leads us through and I'll point out a few things that we need to know along the way. And so the handout that you have outlines this. So I'm going to speak to how the passage shows us these four steps, how Paul leads us in these four steps. There are questions there for you to take away that help you reflect on the four steps. 
So, the first thing Paul shows us, the first place Paul leads us, is he takes us into our heart in verse 5. He says, put to death what is... Uh, what belongs to your earthly nature or what is earthly in you. And so he's clearly looking beneath the surface of our life into our heart. Paul leads us to be aware of our heart, of the unseen thoughts, feelings, words and actions. And, he's, and particularly for the Colossians, whatever situation that they're in, it is surfacing what is in their heart. And different situations that we find ourselves in will expose our different heart behaviours that Paul calls earthly, earthly, rather than heavenly, rather than behaviours or heart attitudes that are of Christ or like Christ or according to him. And so we must be mindful of what's in our hearts because if we don't know what's in our hearts, how can we see our hearts changed? We've got to look beneath our external behaviours to see the unseen internal world of our heart. But it is one thing to know what's there. It is another thing to know why it's there or to understand it, and which is where Paul takes us next. In the secondly, he goes, in verse 7, Paul takes us back. He, he takes us back to where all of this comes from. He says, you used, um, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. Paul moves our attention back to where all these thoughts, feelings, words and actions were first formed in our past. Now, if you're anything like me, if you say to me, Ryan, you seem to be feeling a bit, a bit scared or sad right now, for example. You know, in your past, that would have been a big thing for you, as many of you know, kind of going through my parents' divorce, being sad and scared would have been a very natural thing to feel. But Paul doesn't have to kind of go into all the detail. He's just going to say, hey, this is going on in your heart, and by the way, that's from back there. And almost in an instant, our minds are carried back to those moments, those memories. And so by taking us into our heart, by referring to where it comes from in our past... Paul moves our attention back as we start to discover why. Why we think, feel and speak and act the way we do. And by going back, we can re-experience those formative moments, but they provide us an opportunity for God to teach our hearts something different, something new. Which is what he says next in verse 10. Paul takes us up. Paul, Paul brings us back into the solid, real, close relationship that we have with Jesus. He says, put on the new self, which is being um, renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul reminds us of how God, uh, of God's heart towards us. Though Paul points out in these verses that there are things that need to change, that change comes from or flows from how God chooses to relate to us. We are changed through an experience of how God relates to us. And this is at the heart of what Paul is saying in verse 10. When Paul talks about knowledge, he isn't talking about 
your comprehension, your intellectual capacity or ability or going to Bible college. He's not talking about that. He's talking about relational knowledge. He's talking about the knowledge you get from relating deeply with someone by being with them again and again and again all the time. We come to, to the knowledge or this, this knowing of Jesus because of our being with Jesus, of repeatedly listening to him, speaking to him, looking at him, watching him. And we do all of this by coming to the Bible. Well, Ross will mention this next week, but in the passage next week, it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And so when our hearts experience the way Jesus thinks, feels, speaks and acts towards us, we are changed by that. And as our hearts repeatedly come into contact with Jesus, just like that special solution used inch by inch on the roof of the Sistine Chapel, we are renewed moment by moment into the image of Jesus, our Creator. Took the, the Sistine Chapel 14 years, remember. Paul reminds us that this is a lifelong transformational project. Finally, Paul takes us forward. This is the fourth, the fourth step. Paul calls us to, to put off old practices. We, we read that before. Put off the old practices and put on new ones, new practices. And what Paul means by practices here is our, our choices in the way we choose to act. Don't choose to act that way. Actually choose to act this way. Don't choose to continue to let your past speak into your present. Actually choose to let your relationship with God shape how you're going to choose to act right now. And he says, he uses the language of putting, off and putting on clothes. So take off those clothes, let them die. Don't put them on again. Put on new ones. Put on Christ. So moving forward is about how we are going to live differently from here on. And how we choose to think, feel and speak and act going forward is to be impacted by how Jesus has chosen to relate to us. And so by going, uh, I suppose by taking Paul's lead here, by going with Paul on the journey he takes us in these few verses, by going in to our hearts, by going back to where this comes from, by going up and connecting with Jesus, and by by going forward, by putting him on, We learn how to actually share Jesus' heart. We learn how to share the way he thinks, he feels, and he speaks. And actually, we're changed. We must remember that the, the, the degree to which we let Jesus into our hearts will be the degree to which we will experience change. Because change only happens when the old lessons of our heart are overwhelmed and overpowered by new ones. And Paul's been very clear with us that Jesus is the one who triumphs over our sin, nailing it to the cross and rising from the dead. Our past, our grime, our dirtiness doesn't have to have the last say in our life or the present say in our life. We are intimately bound to Jesus. So let us let, let, us, let him 
have that impact on us. Because by going beneath the surface of our lives, by intentionally opening up our hearts to Jesus, transformation isn't just possible, it's actually probable. It's not just possible. It's more likely to happen than not. Because of the one who we're being with. Because of the one who we're deeply attached to. So if this is how transformation happens, um, then I suppose what does it look like for us as a church? What does maturity look like here at Southside? So to finish off, let's just think about that. There's there's two main ways at Southside maturity uh, plays out. In the life of church, on Sundays here is a maturity space. (laughs) This is where we actually participate in connecting with Jesus, um, specifically through the preaching of his word. Um, Because one way we connect with someone is listening intently to them. And so preaching really is that moment where we just actually stop and listen to Jesus, where we hear him. And a a lot of effort goes into um, our sermons, hours and hours of of preparation and and workshopping, um, taking very seriously what it means to actually for us to hear him well and clearly and rightly. But preaching of God's word is, is one crucial way that we connect with Jesus. But as we've been talking about, to connect deeply with someone requires conversation. Um, and so there is a weakness to just being preached at or spoken to means you don't actually get a chance to to really engage like you do engage but it's different to actually having a conversation with someone face to face and so growth groups are that that other crucial side to the maturity coin if the preaching is one side growth groups is the other And so outside of Sundays, growth groups is the primary, the primary place for Southsiders to be having a, a moment to actually focus on their spiritual maturity. So growth groups at Southside, they are small groups. They are small groups of Southsiders, growing hearts that relate deeply with, Jesus, or with God, ourselves, and others like Jesus. So there's five things about this statement that I'd like just to point out for us as we, as we finish up. Growth groups are small groups. This means that growth groups are intentionally set up for us to have time and space, space to go beneath the surface of our life with Jesus and with others. Growth groups are like a, a team where we're all working towards the common goal of relating to God deeply relating to ourselves and others like Jesus. And the small group provides us time and space to do that because the bigger the group, the less time, the less space you have. And sometimes they're a bit scary. The more people are in the room, the less free you feel to share vulnerably. But growth groups, secondly, they focus on the heart. If we're going to change, and God says that we change from the inside out, it is actually strategic to actually focus on the heart. 
So that means growth groups, uh, at growth groups, you should expect to engage beneath your, the surface of your life. You should expect to engage with your heart um, and, and wrestle with questions that get you to do that. There will be more questions like we've had in the past, difficult questions that ask you to answer the question, if your heart could speak, what would it say? That's a hard question to answer. Growth groups focus on God's heart, relating deeply with God, coming heart to heart with Him, connecting with Him. So this means growth groups, they're not just a Bible study, although we study the Bible. At growth groups, we come to the Bible with particular questions of wanting to know what does this passage teach me about God's heart towards us? What does this passage teach us about how God chooses to think, feel and speak and act towards us? And how is that different from everybody else? But then we learn to relate to ourselves like Jesus relates to us. By learning to actually believe that the way Jesus thinks, feels, speaks and acts about us, his heart towards us is actually who we really are. It's not just about coming to deepen our conviction about who Jesus is. It's about coming to deepen our conviction about who we are because of him. But growth groups are, are about others. Our attention does focus on other people in two ways. It means that growth groups reflect on how other people experience us. Our growth group are going to be opened up to the deepest uh, the deepest, uh, the, the, the stuff beneath the surface of our life, the unique window into who we are. And we need people to go, well, actually, this is how I'm experiencing you. I wonder if that's a problem. Well, what do you think about that? We need people to actually reflect to us how we are being experienced. Because after all, we want people to experience Christ in us, not anything else or anyone else. And so... That's important. But there's also just the, the, the fact that we get to support others and others support us as we share and connect deeply with God and ourself. It'd be a, it's a bit risky. Well, I want to say this. At the risk of giving the impression that growth groups are kind of some special solution to your spiritual maturity. Um, they are not. They are not a silver bullet. W- growth groups are a regular time and place for us to have extended time with Jesus and with one another. But remember, it is Him, it is coming to be with Him that changes us. Growth groups aren't in themselves going to change you. Growth groups provide you with an opportunity. But you will only experience that transformation to the the degree to which you open up your heart to Jesus with his people at growth group. That will be the degree to which growth groups will have their effect or impact on us. So it's our side. It is my, as the maturity pastor... I am responsible for overseeing 
spiritual maturity in the life of church. And and it really is a privilege and it really is something that, that I am on the journey with you all in because um, I am very much a, a work in progress. But it's been so encouraging to hear people reflect on just how they've experienced being a part of growth groups. We've heard people from the front of church say that it's been a life-changing experience and we kind of go, wow, that's amazing and it is amazing. So what does that mean? Well, I had a conversation with one of the, the men at our church who is in a growth group and he's, he told me exactly what that means. Growth group was a place, he was saying that he was connecting with his heart, he, he knew that it was, there was something going on there that was making him discomfort, uncomfortable and he couldn't quite get his finger on where it was coming from. Coming to growth group gave him space to talk about that or just reflect on that. But as he did that, he was then able to actually hear God speak to that. And the, the lethargic, the tiredness, the lack of energy, the, the grumpiness perhaps, that was kind of clouding him, lifted. He actually then was experienced by other people in ways that were positive and actually reflecting more like Jesus because he had a moment to come and go into his heart, realize where that was coming from, have God speak into that, and then leave actually impacted by Jesus. And it changed the way he related to people. It changed the way he, he lived. And so when it comes to those of us who call Southside my church, this is what we're committing to when we talk about committing to maturity, com- committing to spiritual maturity. We capture this in Southside's maturity commitment. This is what it says, and this is what we're committing to. That I will seek to grow and mature in Christ by first taking off my old self and putting on my new self, by being an active member of a growth group as we come together to be more like Jesus. That's what we're committing to. So if you call Southside home and you are not in a growth group, I'd really love to talk to you uh, if you want to have that conversation. Um, But as we finish now, I'm going to lead us in, in praying through this. So taking this to God. Uh, and if this is your church, if Southside is, is your church, is my church, um, then as I finish praying, um, you can you know, say with me amen as a way of, of committing to this before God and together. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we... Th- It is such a privilege to be brought into such an intimate relationship with you and your son. Father, we want to be a people who are being renewed and restored and transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we want to be a people who who seek to grow and mature in becoming more and more like him. Father, we want to do this by by taking off our old self and putting on the new self, by repeatedly coming and being exposed and connecting with Jesus, by going in, back, up and forward. And Father, we pray that we would make the most of this and practice this by being active members of a growth group here at Southside. 
as we gather together as a small team, a small expression of your people to become more like Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.